0: All right, we are back. You know, one person that makes our wish list of future guests on this program, <laughs> remember when we used to have guests on this program? I'm sorry, we used to have more guests on this show than we have of late because Mr. Millen and I have been, well, let's just say distracted over the past many months. So distracted that we had to uh, put the show on a hiatus over the summer, but you know, we're back, we're glad to be back and we're doing the best we can. And you know, I was listening to uh, Armstrong and Getty, which to my horror are now heard in the Bay Area on the powerful beacon of KGO radio. And you know, I got to say, they're pretty listenable. But as they keep tossing out these, you know, right of center fastballs at the audience, I found myself asking repeatedly, where are they getting this? Where's this coming from? We try to make an effort on this show to cite sources We also try to make an effort to find sources that we think are legitimate. When Mr. Miller and I first started doing radio, pushing two decades ago at this point, we realized that we had zero experience in journalism. But it seemed pretty apparent at the time that neither did Rush Limbaugh, he was on 800 stations. After listening to that clown bloviate, pulling facts out of thin air and going with them, we thought, well, you know, if the bar is set that low, we can do this. And, and thankfully, we still are. We do sometimes speculate on things, but try to distinguish between what are speculations and what are things clearly grounded in facts and figures. And when we say something that's wrong, as we sometimes do, we like to go back and issue a correction. And while it's true we live in an information era at this point, I think that's pretty undeniable. It's sadly also true that uh, the information quality is not always good. There, there are such things as fake news. We don't think you're going to find most of it in the direction uh, where the fingers of Donald Trump are being pointed, but it's out there, believe you me. Well, you don't need to hear that from me. You, you know that's true. But I gotta say, I'm pretty depressed to look at something like, you know, CNN, uh, or at least CNN.com, and take a look at what's in the headlines and realize that, man, this is getting tabloidized. I suppose I could cite about a million examples uh, to go along with that, but I'm going to pick one that comes from the world of astronomy, which is a pretty hard science. I mean, astronomy, a lot of astronomy is a branch of physics, which is, of course, the hardest of the hard sciences. At least it is so often described as such. But here's an item that was, well, it was in a lot of different places, but the source I'm going to cite is NBCnews.com. Here's the item. The mysterious object known as Planet 9 that many astronomers believe is waiting to be discovered in the outer reaches of our solar system might, might actually be a black hole no bigger than a bowling ball. And I I do have to pause and, and just chuckle over the, the dimensions being provided for the mini black hole. Not a beach ball, mind you, not a softball, but bowling ball. That's what the, the mathematics, whizzes, and physics have decided would be the size of what's being called a primordial black hole. Now, proponents of Planet Nine, like Mike Brown at Caltech, who we we do want to get on the show, have pointed to the unusual orbit paths of some asteroids, comets, and other bodies out beyond Neptune, which appear to have been influenced by the gravity of an object up to 15 times more massive than planet Earth. And so far, scientists have not been able to locate that phantom object. But a new study by theoretical physicists proposes that planet 9 could actually be a primordial black hole, which means it couldn't be detected by visible light or infrared telescopes. Unlike black holes that are formed by collapsing stars, primordial black holes are thought to be small, super-dense clumps of matter that formed in the aftermath of the Big Bang. Their existence, however, has never been confirmed. Co-author James Unwin from the University of Illinois at Chicago said, the discovery of a giant planet in the solar system would be an extraordinary discovery, but the discovery of a primordial black hole would be immense and even more spectacular. Why doesn't he just call it super duper spectacular? Wowie zowie, imagine a primordial black hole. One that allegedly might be rolled down the alley of the cloverleaf bowl. I don't know. Physics is the hardest of the hard sciences, they say. But yet, when you get down to this uh, quantum physics stuff, the the whole world gets fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier. You know, might there be a primordial black hole orbiting the sun out there past Neptune? Yeah, sure, you know. (laughs) Anytime you see a news item with May in it, you know that well, you know things are not nailed down. So let's do another one. Let's talk about things that may be bad for your health. This is a new one. This, this actually is somewhat alarming. We hope this one turns out to be a primordial black hole. But the fact is, National Geographic is reporting that scientists have found another reason to avoid fast food. The chemicals in its packaging, alkyl substances, are water- and grease-resistant chemicals that are used in burger wrappers, pizza boxes, and other containers. PFASs, which are also used to prevent stains on carpets and upholstery. Nice, nice. Keeps your carpet from staining and, and your pizza box from making a mess. Well, these things are known as forever chemicals because they can take decades to break down. In a new study, researchers looked at PFAS levels in blood samples for more than 10,000 people. The scientists found five commonly used types of PFASs in 70% of the samples, I noted that participants who had eaten fast food in the 24 hours before the blood test had noticeably higher levels of PFAS than those who hadn't. Several studies have linked the chemicals to health issues such as cancer, thyroid problems, hormonal changes, and weight gain, but it remains unclear exactly what level of the PFAS is bad for the body. Study author does note that it does make sense for people to try to reduce their exposure. Guess so. We do need to be grateful, of course, that your pizza box is not likely to stay your carpet. And we were scoffing on this program not so long ago about uh, this, this so-called threat uh, we're hearing about everywhere from blue-green algae and every freshwater body that seems to be closed in Northern California for swimming because of the alleged threat to health. Well, one aspect of this that I think has been overlooked is that uh, there seems to be an association with these algal blooms of blue-green algae to runoff of fertilizer and manure from farms into our rivers and water systems. My suspicion is that that has something to do with whatever increase there may be in these algal blooms, although it seems pretty clear that uh, climate change is probably exacerbating this problem. Researchers from the Carnegie Institute for Science used satellite data to examine 71 large lakes in 33 countries from 1984 to 2013, The peak summertime intensity of blooms increased in about two-thirds of the lakes during that period and decreased in only six. Among the lakes that improved at any point in the study period, only those that experienced the least warming were able to sustain improvements in bloom conditions. Co-author Anna Michelek told ScienceDaily.com that algal blooms really are getting more widespread. It's not just that we're paying more attention to them now than we were decades ago. All right. I think we need to go back to some good news items. <laughs> a good news item, which was brought to me by Mr. McMillan a few minutes ago, was that uh, that uh, President Donald Trump was booed at the World Series, and apparently a chant went up from the crowd, lock him up, <laughs> which, uh, I don't know, seems fair enough. That was quite, quite a low, I think, in American politics for a uh, for that to have been shouted at Trump rallies, for all of this uh, nonsense about uh, Hillary Clinton's emails, blah, blah, blah. And and by the way, it does turn out that the Clinton email investigation finally has ended. And uh, it's noted that there's no evidence that Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server while Secretary of State caused the deliberate mishandling of classified information. The State Department concluded this in a report that it gave to Congress last week. The State Department said 38 department employees sent messages that were retroactively marked as classified to Clinton's server, holding them culpable for 91 security violations and potentially affecting future security clearances. Relentless scrutiny of Clinton's emails haunted her, in 2016, yet investigators who spent three years reviewing 33,000 of her emails and collecting statements from hundreds of past and present department officials found that the private server was merely used for expediency, although it did increase the risk of hacking. Clinton spokesman Nick Merrill said the report confirms that the email investigation was a pointless GOP crusade. And speaking of pointless GOP crusades, although in the end we don't think it was pointless, we're going to talk, I think, on next week's program about uh, about impeachment. The impeachment of Bill Clinton is the one that, uh, that I think is most fresh in our minds from 20 years ago. We mentioned on this program that, uh, to his credit, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was then just a muscle man on his way to becoming California's governor, did note that he was embarrassed to be a Republican in the late 90s when they were putting Clinton through all of that. Oh, the GOP was on a high horse uh, back in in the late 90s about uh, Clinton's not telling the truth about an affair that he had. And yet these same people, like apparently those white evangelical Protestants, are now uh, pretty much okay with people lying their butts off. Or so it seems, anyway. I'm really frankly surprised the Democrats are missing an opportunity to to go back just 20 years ago and point out how ridiculously hypocritical people like Lindsey Graham and others were to have made a big deal out of out of Clinton's uh, admittedly moments of mendacity. But the guy we're hearing the most about is Andrew Johnson. There have been several write-ups about the impeachment of Andrew Johnson back in the 1860s, and uh, we are going to have my high school history teacher return to Radio Parallax next week to kick that around a little bit. That should be interesting. We were going to have him as an actual guest on this week's program, but uh, it didn't quite work out. He'll be back. But jumping forward from the 1860s to the uh, 20-teens, it does seem as though impeachment is going to go forward. I don't think they're going to just investigate the matter. I think they're going to act on it at this point. In the wake of acting Ukrainian ambassador William B. Taylor testifying that he was explicitly told that President Trump had suspended $391 million in military aid to Ukraine until Ukrainian President Zelensky publicly announced an investigation into Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Ambassador Taylor's damaging testimony came just days after White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney shocked the president's lawyers and supporters by admitting in a televised press conference that Trump had conditioned the release of the congressional approved aid intending to help fund Ukraine's fight against Russian backed separatists on Zelensky opening an investigation into this conspiracy theory that Ukraine and not Russia had interfered in the 2016 U.S presidential election. I was stunned to read that John Podoritz, writing in CommentaryMagazine.com, and you know, this is, you know, a a voice from the far right, I think it's fair to say, noted that Taylor's testimony has sealed the deal. That's the ballgame, he said. That's impeachment. Taylor, of course, destroyed Trump's defense that there was no quid pro quo and that he was only interested in investigating corruption related to the 2016 election. Michael Gerson in the Washington Post says, We now have the smoking gun. Trump's politically motivated shakedown of Zelensky was clearly a corrupt quid pro quo. And writing in Bloomberg.com, not exactly a Democratic Party bastion, Timothy O'Brien wrote that Taylor exhibited great purpose, integrity, and decency in deciding to testify before the House. He's a career civil servant, a West Point graduate officer, and veteran diplomat, and he accepted the personal risk to his career because his belief in Ukraine's strategic importance to the U.S. Bloomberg noted that that should contrast him with the opportunists in Trump's campaign. The power and limelight infatuated Giuliani, Soland, oh that's the U.S. ambassador to the European Union that informed Ambassador Taylor about the quid pro quo, is himself a wealthy hotelier who bought himself an ambassadorship with a $1 million donation to Trump's inauguration. It's a really sad thing that in America we do basically auction off ambassadorships to political campaign contributors. Anyways, we go before the microphone right now. Uh, There's news just in that lieutenant colonel has testified that he was in on the phone call with Zelensky. He was listening in as Trump spoke to him and said, no, There's no doubt, quid pro quo. Well, as Betty Davis might say, Fasten your seat belts. It's going to be a bumpy night. And in spite of this groundswell that seems to be rising up against Trump, you know, people at a World Series game shouting, Lock him up, uh, it's not all bleak on his side of the street. Turns out that President Trump and the Republican National Committee. Have raised more than $300 million for his reelection. That is more than any other sitting president at this point in the campaign. Trump's campaign and the RNC have about $158 million in cash on hand, nearly twice as much as President Obama and the DNC had at this juncture in 2011, according to Politico.com. Politico.com also notes that the GOP has spent $6.3 million on impeachment-themed advertising on TV, Google, and Facebook since Nancy Pelosi announced an inquiry on September 24th. Democrats have spent just $2.4 million, and progressive organizations are trying to raise more. And speaking of this unsettling confluence of political money and the use of high-tech social media, Facebook, Google, etc., to further their ends. How about this? Article in New Scientist by Donna Lu? notes that fake videos created by artificial intelligence are now so good that filmmakers are taking note. The Israeli tech firm Kani AI is one of several companies cashing in on so-called deep fakes using the technology to edit videos into different languages firm is currently using its AI to dub advertisements and messages from celebrities for audiences in different countries. It plans to use the technology for television shows and films in the future. Deepfakes makes it easy for people with a bit of technical know-how to create fake videos. So far, they've mostly been used to make pornographic films involving celebrities (laughs) or to create videos where well-known figures appear to say something they haven't. Canny AI for example created a satirical deep fake of Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg that went viral last June. I did not see that. Did you, Mr. McMillan? I did not, but I would like to. I think we should we should check that out. The firm's technology requires a voice actor to provide replacement audio, unlike other algorithms that have learned to synthesize convincing fake speech such as that of UK-based company Faculty, which has generated Donald Trump's voice. Canny AI's system needs about a minute of speaking footage of both the person being deep faked in the video and the voice actor saying the words that will be edited in. The system learns to transfer the movement of the lower half of the dubber's face and neck into the video being edited. It works for both footage where the speaker is facing the camera and footage where they are side on. The result is a video in which the subject looks and sounds like they are saying the new dialogue. The article notes that using such deep fake AIs commercially brings up legal questions. Lillian Edwards at Newcastle University in the UK was quoted as saying, there's an underlying issue about what parts of yourself you own. Do you own your face? Do you own your image? Do you own the voices coming out of your face? This is why in Radio Parallax, we just love the legal profession. The article notes that these are questions that companies and celebrities will have to consider when entering into contracts. Omar Ben Ami, co-founder of Canny AI, says, Every client we're working with has to declare they are responsible for copyrights and liability issues. So, the company leaves the actors and production people uh, holding the bag on this? That's pretty slick. Anyway... Lillian Edwards at Newcastle University notes that any technology is a double-edged sword. The danger is that as AI video editing becomes more user-friendly and widespread, people could use deepfakes, quote, to put words into the mouths of politicians, public figures, people they hate. Boy, we better buckle our safety belts on that one, too. There's going to be some bad stuff down the road. We do, however, have to report some bad news for the, uh, the Internet... Influence peddlers. Writing in the Wall Street Journal, Suzanne Kapner and Sharon Turlep note that the influence of influencers appears to be waning. Companies have funneled as much as $8 billion a year into Internet endorsements, from $200 for nano-influencers with 10,000 followers to as much as $500,000 for a celebrity Instagram post. $500,000 for a celebrity Instagram post. Didn't one of the Kardashians get that for that uh, fake concert they put on on in the Bahamas that turned into such a fiasco? I, I I believe one of them did. Well, I wasn't aware of this, but one cosmetic company even gave influencers a cut of the sales. But it's noted that a whiff of deceit now taints the influencer marketplace. Advertisers have gotten burned by influencers who buy fake followers. Yes, apparently 1,000 YouTube followers can be bought for $49. And evidently, fake Facebook and Instagram followers cost even less. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal noted, Real Instagram users are tired of feeds saturated with ads from paid influencers promoting products they don't use themselves. Send one college student with 1,300 Instagram followers of her own. My friends and I are sick of being sold things all the time. Well, I should think you should be sick of buying things all the time, but that's another story. I must confess, I don't know the first thing about Instagram. But among other things, it has prevented me from booking myself into a fake rock concert in the Bahamas. You know, something else that kind of disturbs me is, is how reliant we have become upon Wikipedia You look up almost anything these days, and what pops up is the Wikipedia item related to thus and such. Wikipedia is eminently manipulable. And it turns out that over in Poland, Polish nationalists have been using Wikipedia to rewrite and distort the history of the Holocaust. Writing in Haaretz, the Israeli publication Omer Ben Jacob, notes that in 2006, Polish volunteer editors changed the English-language Wikipedia entry for Warsaw Concentration Camp so that it claimed 200,000 ethnic Poles were gassed to death at the internment camp. In fact, the Nazi concentration camp was built on the site of the city's former Jewish ghetto and housed the Jewish prisoners who were forced to demolish the area. No Nazi gas chambers ever existed in Warsaw, yet the camp's fake history remained in the online encyclopedia for nearly 13 years and got inserted into dozens of other Wikipedia entries on Nazi crimes. These edits pushed the revisionist history invented by Polish nationalists, which posits that Poles in general, not just the country's Jewish population, were the main victims of the Nazi occupation. Haaretz notes that the number of victims is not an accident, Since 400,000 Jews were murdered in the Warsaw Ghetto and some 200,000 Poles were killed in the Warsaw Uprising, if Poles can come up with 200,000 more victims, then their suffering equals that of the Jews. And another not-so-good news involving the Nazi regime, there's apparently a movie out that's currently being touted as an Oscar contender. It's titled Jojo Rabbit, and one of the main characters in this satire Is apparently a lighthearted portrayal of Adolf Hitler. Perhaps the less said about this movie, the better. But I was struck by the comments reprinted in the reek from David Edelstein, writing in nymag.com, who said, Although I don't love Jojo Rabbit, I love that it exists. Yes, great satire is tougher, but how many people actually watch, much less enjoy, pitch-black horror comedies like 2017's The Death of Stalin? You know, stop. I don't, I don't know what he means by horror comedy. As reported on this program, The Death of Stalin is a most interesting film. I wouldn't call it a comedy. There's very few laps in it, and yet it is a satirical look at the passing of the dictator Joseph Stalin. And yeah, I guess David Edelstein has a point. I don't think very many people saw that movie, but does that mean you go for what, making what Edelstein calls a middle brow triumph? He says people who can get past the shock of funny Nazis will laugh and cry and feel inspired. Mr. Miller points out, huh, funny Nazis? Doesn't that take us back to Hogan's heroes? You know, as a boy, I always puzzled over how it was that this nation of Germany got seduced by these right-wingers called the Nazis. I was always under the impression in my youth that it couldn't happen here. But that legendary book by Sinclair Lewis titled It Can't Happen Here is apparently having quite a revival at the moment in which a, uh, a right-wing boob becomes the president of the United States by promoting a racist and nationalist agenda. In a cinematic effort that I'm sure is much worse than Jojo Rabbit, it was revealed last week that, that at a conference at President Trump's Doral Resort featured a video depicting him slaughtering journalists and political rivals in an action movie-style massacre. Organizers said the video, which showed Trump's head superimposed on the body of a man shooting up the Church of Fake News, is a mashup of a scene from Kingsman, the secret agent. It was unsanctioned, reportedly. The targets in the video included Barack Obama, John McCain, and Bernie Sanders, as well as other figures covered with logos of media organizations such as NBC, NPR, and The Washington Post. The clip ends with Trump triumphantly standing on the church altar after killing CNN. This video was apparently created by a prolific but still unidentified maker of pro-Trump memes. Wow, I guess a Terminator sequel is coming out next month, uh calling calling Sarah Connor. Anyway, in the few minutes we have left, I was seeking some levity here, and I found a spot of it, but it it it, it is dark humor indeed. Let's go with this. This comes from an item that appeared in the Nigerian Tribune, an editorial. This came about in the wake of an undercover BBC investigation into West African universities. They caught Nigerian professors undertaking prurient negotiations that were quite unbecoming of university teachers, namely offering good grades for sexual favors. Reporters infiltrated the faculty club and found an orgy room, outfitted like a disco, where girls were plied with alcohol and their teachers danced with them, groped them, and had sex with them. Noted the editors of the Nigerian Tribune, who were evidently shocked that this was going on. They noted that such corrupt behavior not only robs students of a harassment-free learning environment, it also deprives Nigeria of properly educated graduates. They noted that if Nigeria graduates unfit students in professions like medicine and engineering, the whole country will suffer. Well, I have some sad news to report. The whole country has been suffering for quite some time. A medical school colleague of mine was off to Nigeria to do good medical work, having been recruited by a Nigerian. So pervasive was the dishonesty of the environment he found himself that he and his wife sought the protection of the embassy. He informed me that it was well known in Nigeria that you could purchase your medical degree. Surgeons who did not actually know how to do appendectomies would make a skin incision and then close it. Sometimes the patient would still live. Anyway, as a public service announcement, if you plan to travel to Nigeria, which we do not specifically advise you to do, we would suggest that it would be prudent to take out excellent travel insurance. And if, God forbid, you should come down with a case of appendicitis, fly to France or South Africa or Spain or someplace. But I do want to note in closing that I have professionally dealt with Nigerian physicians here in the United States who were not just good, they were terrific. And I'm not being satirical when I say that. That's the honest-to-God truth. But it's just not the same back in the old home country. That's my understanding. Another honest-to-God truth is that we are flat out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett who notes that if we are traveling together at some point in the future and you develop appendicitis, I'm not going to fix it. We're going to fly somewhere. All right, we'll see you next week.